actually found in chapter 3, and then we'll go back and start into chapter 1. There are many reasons why the letter from Paul to Timothy is valuable for us to study today. Uh, Just to give you a little bit of a historical context here, Paul wrote 1 Timothy as soon as he was released from prison in Rome. Remember, while he was in prison in Rome, he wrote four letters. They were Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. They are called Paul's prison letters. But after he was released, he was headed to Macedonia. He was going to sort of check in on the churches, the local churches, that he and others had started to see how they were doing. And obviously, he had a really close relationship with this young pastor named Timothy, one that he actually personally discipled and mentored. So one of the values of studying the letter of 1 Timothy is that it shows us the dynamic of one who was discipling and mentoring somebody, and it shows it then also not from just the standpoint of the one who is doing the mentoring or discipling, but the one who is being mentored or discipled. And it's really what the body of Christ is supposed to be doing at all times. That we are to be pouring our lives into others and building them up in their faith. And so we see this from both angles. Hopefully there's always someone in our life that acts as a Paul for us. And hopefully there's somebody in our life that is always a Timothy to us. You see. And so we have that dynamic. We also have another dynamic. It's the main one that I want to touch on throughout this letter. And that is this. And this is why this is so important in our day and age. This book teaches us about how to do church. About the value of church. It reminds us how much Paul loved the church. One of the reasons why he wrote this letter. And the key verse of this entire letter is found in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. I'd like you to look at it with me, but I'm going to pick it up, though, in verse 14 to to get the flow. I hope to come to you soon, Timothy, but I am writing these instructions to you that in case I am delayed to let you know how people ought to conduct themselves in the household of God because it is the church of the living God, the support and bulwark of the truth. Now, we're not going to study this verse in depth. We're going to wait till we get to chapter 3 to do it. But I want to point this out. This is the key verse of the entire letter. Why is Paul writing this letter? He is writing this letter to instruct the pastor to teach his people there is a certain code of conduct that God expects of his people, not in relation to those outside the church, but notice, he said, in the household of God, in the church. God expects His people to behave and to live in a certain way with their brothers and sisters in Christ. This is why this letter is, again, so needed today. Because what it reminds us of is this. God has said to the leadership of local churches and really to all members of local churches, there is a certain way I want the church to function. There's a certain way I designed the church to be. Now, 
the problem is that there are many local churches and many leaderships in local churches that have decided somewhere along the line, we're going to do church the way we want to. We're going to do church how we feel like doing church. The problem is, God said, this is the way I want you to do church. And unless we do church God's way, we will never achieve the purpose of why God created the church in the first place. And we will never really be under the blessing of God. We may have a lot of people at that church. That church may be a big church. It, it may be a prominent church, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that church is doing church the way God designed the church to be run. Because again, God said, this is the way I want you to do church. And I want you to teach my people how church should be done. So first of all, it puts responsibility on us as pastors, as leaders. We better know that we're doing church the way God designed the church to be. And in the next few months, as we study 1st, 2nd Timothy, and Titus, we're going to see these three letters above all the other letters in the New Testament really give us a picture of how God expects the church to operate and be, be run and what our focus should be. But secondly, on the flip side of that, this verse and others are going to tell us and remind us that we, as the people of God who are part of the household of God, part of the church, we have a responsibility to the church. We have an obligation to one another. And the reason I say, why is this needed today, is because there are many Christians today that, first of all, don't feel like they need to even be part of a local church, much less really engaged, involved, and invested in a local church. And again, I would say to those that feel that way, if they are a Christian, you're not walking in step with God's design because God said, I created the church. The church was not man's creation. The church is God's creation. And God set it up to run a certain way. And then God said, for those of you that are in the household of God, you are in the church, there's a certain code of conduct. There's a certain way to do this. And so... That's why I think the study of this letter is so needed. I believe that if Christians really understood this, that hopefully more would get involved in some local church that's doing church right and truly be engaged, involved, and invested. Because that's the way God designed it to be. God said, through Paul to Timothy, you instruct your people how they should conduct themselves as part of the household of God, the church of the living God, the support and bulwark of the truth. Which also reminds us that the primary thing that God looks for in the church is the church above anything else or everywhere else should be a place where if I want to hear the truth, if I want to know the truth of God, that's the one place I can find it. The church. Again, sad to say today, that's not always the case. And yet, that's the way God designed it. 
And that's why he describes it as the pillar or support and bulwark of the truth. Then finally, one of the other great values of studying this letter is this letter reminds us that we as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, are in a battle. We are not playing on a playground. We are in a battle. And we've got to know how to win the battles of life. Yes, Jesus Christ has already won the war. The war has already been decided, but in this intervening time before you and I get to heaven, we're going to be faced with battles. And that is why Paul, notice in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, tells Timothy to fight the good fight. <laughs> Timothy, you've got to be willing to fight. You've got to be a soldier for Jesus Christ. Being in the church and, and, and doing church God's way and being a Christian and being a faithful follower of Christ is going to put you on the front lines. You've got to be willing to fight because it's worth the fight. Oh, that many of us as Christians would realize that what we are involved with, what we are engaged with, what we are investing in is worth the fight. And then, one more, and then I promise we're going to get into chapter 1. In chapter 6, verse 12, notice that Paul tells Timothy, compete well for the faith. The word compete is the Greek word agonizomai. It is from the Greek word agon, which means to struggle. And obviously, too, you get the whole idea of agony in there, right? It's the idea that we, as followers of Christ, should be willing to struggle because our struggle is worth it. Whatever struggle we go through, whatever battles we face, whatever fighting we have to do, it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it all. But do we have that mindset? Are we willing to struggle? Are we willing to fight? Do we believe it's worth it, if you will? You see. So this is why the study of 1 Timothy is so valuable. It's going to teach us about discipling and mentoring. I mean, we literally can learn how to be a discipler and a mentor just by studying this letter. Or how to be a better one. Second, it's going to teach us how to do church. How to do church the way God designed church to be done. Not the way we want church to be done. The way God designed the church to be done. And third, it's going to teach us how to win these battles. How to be engaged and be willing to compete for the faith and fight the good fight. So with that said, you'll notice then back in chapter 1. That Paul says that this letter is from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my genuine child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. There's only really one thing I wanted to touch on there before we move on to verses 3 through 7 tonight. And that is when Paul calls Timothy his genuine child in the faith. He's saying, I know Timothy is the real deal. I know he is authentic. 
which implies that there are, there are those out there, even part of the church in name, that really aren't genuine. They're not the real deal. They're basically pretenders. They're fakers. But they're not genuine. And Paul knew Timothy well enough and had observed him long enough to know, no, this, this guy's the real deal. You can't fake it for that long. You, you can't be that faithful for that long and go through all that you've went through and not be the genuine article. That's important for us to remember. As part of the church, let's not forget that the Bible teaches that, that just because people are part of our church doesn't mean that they're really saved, born again, and going to be in heaven one day with us. They might not be. Only God knows their heart. And the Bible teaches that God is allowing at this time and in this place and in this generation for the sheep and the wolves, in a sense, to coexist with each other. And He's not going to separate them until the last judgment. So we have that to deal with as well, you know. And that's why it's important, can I say, that the church operates the way God designed it to operate. Because there might even be people within the church that really don't even have a relationship with God who try to steer, steer the church in a certain direction that we can't let happen because they're not even genuine in the faith, you see. And so we have to be cautious of that. Which is why then, beginning in verse 3, notice that the first thing we're really going to look at tonight, and the only thing we're really going to look at for the rest of tonight, is where Paul comes back to the importance of the church being the place that not only proclaims the truth of God, but protects and guards the truth of God, and puts the the responsibility, yes, on the pastor and the spiritual leaders, the elders and all of that, but also on every member of that church, every person who claims that that's my church, that we are all responsible to make sure that we stay on message, if you will, using a, a modern terminology. Because it is so easy for a church to get off track. It's so easy for us as individuals to somehow get distracted and start going down a, a wrong doctrinal theological path that's going to end really bad for us. Because what Timothy is going to be reminded of by Paul is that right teaching, accurate teaching of the Word of God, leads to spiritual health and well-being and prosperity. But wrong Inaccurate teaching of God's Word leads to spiritual disaster and unhealthiness and destruction. And so it really goes back again to the importance of doctrine and our theology and what we are teaching and to make sure that we're doing it right, you see. Because if not, it just negatively affects every aspect and facet of our lives and the life of our church. So notice what Paul says. Just follow along with me, beginning in verse 3. Paul says, As I urged you when I was leaving for Macedonia, stay on in Ephesus to instruct certain people not to spread false teaching, nor to occupy themselves with myths and interminable genealogies, 
Such things promote useless speculation rather than God's redemptive plan that operates by faith. But the aim of our instruction is love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. And some have strayed from these and turned away to empty discussion. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not even understand what they are saying or the things that they insist on so confidently. I just want to make a mention from verse 7, and then I want to go back up to verse 3. Notice here what Paul is saying is that there are people in the church, even in Timothy's church, which is in Ephesus, we know that from verse 3, that it want to be viewed as theological experts who have all the answers. That's what Paul's saying here. But they have never really applied themselves to the ongoing study of God's Word to know what they're talking about. They are clueless from their shallowness. That's the big problem in the church today. Many churches are a thousand feet wide, but only an inch deep. And it's showing up because shallowness is not going to give us the depth and the grounding that we need in God's Word. And yet Paul says it is out of this shallowness that they want to be teachers. They want to tell people, you know, I have the answers. And yet Paul, notice, even says they insist on it Content. In other words, they maintain loudly and consistently that they know what they're talking about, even though they don't. They have no clue what they're talking about because they've never really sat under the word long enough and been teachable long enough to really understand what God, God's word said. Yet they want to teach everybody else. You see. And can I just say at this point, This is why we have to, even as a church, be very careful about small groups and home Bible studies. I I love the fact that, you know, we as Christians want to get together more with each other. But let's face it, right here, it reminds us that we better be careful who's leading the discussion, who's leading the Bible study, who's doing the teaching. Do they really know what they're talking about? Or like a lot of Christian home Bible studies and small groups, is it just mutually shared ignorance? Do people not really do any study and they just get together and open up their Bible and they go around the room and go, what do you think that verse means? Well, I think that verse means this. Well, how about you? Well, I think it might mean this. I don't really know, but really? That, that's what we're going to do? Do we not see that that's going to end really badly? Because nobody really knows what they're talking about. At the end of the day, who really can be an authoritative voice to bring some kind of accuracy to it all? This is the problem with the emerging church movement today that's so popular. Where Christians say, I don't need to be part of a local church and sit under the authority of a pastor or anything else. We can just have our own little groups out here in our homes and we can just sort of figure it out on our own. Who's going to be the person that the buck stops with your doctrine? And do you really have anybody qualified there to be able to teach the Word of God accurately and know what the Word of God says? Or is it going to end up in spiritual disaster where we just sort of share what we think it means? You see. Isn't there a reason why God created the local church and then calls pastors 
to be the shepherds of people's souls who come under them and give us the responsibility to study and to teach? Did He do that just for fun? Or was there really good reason why God says, I want you to be under a pastor-teacher. I want you to be led by those who I'm leading into the Scriptures so that you can be accurately and correctly taught the Word of God. But again, we live in a day and age where people go, I'm going to do church or do my Christian life the way I want to. I'm not going to listen to God's design. And it's preposterous. And yet, Christians would be appalled if somebody came to them and said, you know, I know that, you know, you're, you're saying that whole, well, Jesus is the only way to heaven and the only way of salvation, but I think I can, I can get there my way. We would, we would try to talk them out of it, right? No, don't you understand? Jesus is the only way. You can't, you can't get to heaven however you want to. You gotta go God's way. And yet we live in a day and age within the church where Christians are doing the same thing about church and about their Christian life. I don't care what God says and how God said it should be. I'm going to do it my way. And somehow it's going to be okay. No, it's not. So you can see from verses 3 through 7 what Paul's really telling this pastor and wants to tell the whole church is stay on message. Stay with the Bible. Do not deviate from God's message. That's what he says in verse 3. Instruct certain people. It's a word in the Greek that means give strict orders to the people in your church who are teaching something other than God's Word not to. Don't deviate from the Word of God. God has everything we need right in here. We don't need to go outside the Word of God to be spiritually healthy, spiritually fit, spiritually prosperous. The Bible is sufficient. And yet, down through the ages, don't forget, this book was written 25 years approximately after Jesus ascended back to heaven. So he hadn't even been gone that long. The church hasn't been established that long. And yet, see how quickly people in the church try to move away from the Word of God? And that's what our challenge is, both in our individual lives and in the life of our church, to make sure that we're all keeping each other accountable and that we're staying on message. I would surely hope, and I think I can say this pretty confidently, that the quality of people we have at the Oasis, if I stood up some Sunday and started giving you a bunch of garbage other than the Bible, somebody would say something to me. Jeff, what has gotten into you? Get back to teaching us the Word. That's why we're here. And that's the way it should be. We're all accountable to each other, and that's what Paul's saying here. Now, I want to point this very practical point out as well. Notice in verse 3 of chapter 1, Paul tells Timothy, I want you to stay on in Ephesus. (laughs) Why? Because Paul knew that Timothy really didn't want to stay at Ephesus. Ephesus was a tough church to pastor. Obviously, a lot of issues. And we know that Timothy was this young man that, you know, that's why Paul in 2 Timothy says, listen, Timothy, God hasn't given us the spirit of fear. 
But a power love is you you gotta hang in there, Timothy. Don't run away from a tough assignment. Remain in Ephesus. Be willing to fight. Be willing to struggle, Timothy. It's worth it. Many, even Christians, develop a lifelong pattern of running away from difficulties, of avoiding unpleasant situations, of keeping away from incompatible people, of seeking the easy way, and of quitting when the going gets rough. And when we do that as a pattern in our life, it will show up in big ways. And I, I will say this. If that is a pattern of the way we live our lives, we will never reach spiritual maturity. And we will never really be useful to the body of Christ, to our brothers and sisters in Christ, if that's the way we handle things. Because that's not how God wants us to live our lives. And that's why Paul told Timothy... I know you want to you leave, you want to cut and run, you want to get out of there. Stay. Stay. And here's why. Keep your finger there in 1 Timothy for a moment and go back to the book of Acts chapter 20. Paul predicted this. In the book of Acts chapter 20, Paul is called the elders of the church at Ephesus to himself. He wanted to give them a final sort of warning and message. In fact, you read this in Acts chapter 20, verse 17, where it says, From Miletus he sent a message to Ephesus, telling the elders of the church to come to him. He wanted to gather the spiritual leaders of this church from Ephesus to him because he had something that the Lord had given him that he wanted them to hear. What was it? Go over to verse 28 of chapter 20. Notice what his message is to the spiritual leaders at the church of Ephesus. Watch out for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God that he ordained with the blood of his own son. I know that after I'm gone, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Even from among your own group, Men will arise teaching perversions of the truth to draw the disciples away after them. And guess what? That's exactly what was happening at this local church that Timothy was pastoring. He was dealing with people teaching erroneous doctrine and false teaching within his church. And Paul says, Timothy, you can't let this go on. You as the pastor have to stand up and you've got to strictly order them, stop it. This is not good. We need to stick with the Bible, with God's Word. So then if you go back to chapter 1, let's move on to verse 4. He says, also, strictly order them not to occupy themselves. It means don't pay any attention to myths. The word speaks about the things that man comes up with, the inventions of man. Again, God has given us his revelation. I don't need to, 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 you know, preoccupy myself with what man thinks. I should immerse myself in what God knows and what God has revealed to me. Keep myself on track and not get distracted. 
Then he talks about don't get occupied with interminable genealogies. It means don't go on about human pedigree, about ancestry and all that kind of stuff. Don't get caught up in that. And especially the Jews were very caught up in that. It was like, I want to know who, who tribe I'm at and, and who my ancestor is. As if really that was going to determine where they ended up spiritually. No. You and I end up spiritually based on our own relationship with God. And God defines who we are and what we become. It has nothing to do with our ancestry and all of that. I mean, that can explain some things, but that doesn't define us. And so Paul says, why are you caught up in all that? And then he goes on to say, notice, such things promote useless speculation. In other words, meaningless debate and controversy rather than God's redemptive plan that operates by faith. A very interesting phrase, actually, in the original language. Paul's saying to Timothy something like this. God, in his redemptive plan, has bestowed on all of us and his church all of these abundant resources and, and, and the ability to, to manage it, to administrate it, to be stewards of it. He says, so why are you getting caught up in this other stuff? God has given us plenty of resources to manage, including our time, our stewardship of time that is so precious because life goes by so quickly. He says, so why are you wasting your time on the things that really aren't going to matter? Stay focused. Stay on track and saturate your mind and focus your mind on what really is going to matter, what's going to make a difference in your own spiritual health, and then what's going to provide spiritual health and prosperity to others around you. Don't do something that's not going to matter. Life is too short. And then he says this, but the aim, the end goal, the purpose of our instruction and all instruction of sharing the message of God is love. In other words, Paul's saying this to this young pastor and really saying this to all of us. If what we are learning from the word of God is not leading to a deeper love for God and a deeper love for others, then what good is it? It better be leading to that. It, it better be leading all of us, no matter what we study, what we are being instructed and what we are being taught, it should lead us to a deeper love for God and a deeper love for others. That's always the goal. Paul says it very clearly. That's, the aim of our instruction, love. If in your individual time in God's Word, if in your home groups and Bible studies that you're involved with, in your church where you're being taught the Word of God on the middle of the week or Sunday, if, if what you and I are being taught and learning from the Word of God is not leading to love God more and to love others more and be willing to sacrifice and, and live a selfless life like Jesus who did not please Himself, then something's wrong. Something's wrong. That should always be the aim. And we should keep that. 
We should always, as Christians, go, that's what should be the end goal. That should be the purpose of it all. And then he says, this obviously is going to come from, first of all, a pure heart, an undiluted, undistracted heart. If my heart's distracted, if it's divided, then obviously then my love for God and my love for others, because it's going to be like, well, I want to live for me. But I want to live for... No. Pure heart is one that is undistracted. And then he says, and a good conscience. The conscience in the Bible is just that, that thing that God gave us so that we could have a self-awareness. And if in this self-awareness there's conflict, Paul says that's not good. And yet many even Christians live with that internal conflict. They're conflicted because their conscience really isn't exonerating them from the way they're living, but they keep on going down that road anyway. And so they live always with this, they're never at peace internally because they really are distracted and then they're conflicted. And then Paul goes on to say, and a sincere faith which really ties back into what he said about Timothy earlier being the genuine son. The word sincere means not phony, not put on. In other words, Paul again is saying, guess what? Some people just play games. They sort of come into a group of Christians and they put on a spiritual air about themselves. And and they you know, use what I call that God talk to try to, you know, make themselves look spiritual in the environment they're in. But in reality, when it's just them behind closed doors with God, there's really no spirituality there at all. It's just all pretend. It's all put on, as Paul says. And then he goes on to say, some have strayed, verse 6 from thee, some have deviated. They are literally out of step with God and have turned away to empty discussion. Worthless babble. They talk a lot, but their talk and their instruction and their teaching and their learning and stuff never really gets them any further down the road of spiritual maturity and spiritual growth. As Paul said somewhere else, they're always learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Man, if if there's a Bible study, they're there. But they're never any more like Jesus. Their character never really changes. They never really fall in love with God more or love others more, which should be the purpose of it all. Paul said, no, it's just worthless babble. And that's when he says, they want to be teachers of the law. They want to be viewed as theological experts who have all the answers, but they do not understand what they are saying. Wow. They have no clue. Because they've never applied themselves long enough to be teachable, to study the Word of God under others, so that 
they really do have a grasp on what the Bible teaches. It's all surface. It's all, this is what I think. I don't know about you, but it really doesn't matter at the end of the day what you or I think. What really matters is getting down to what does God say. And so I want to go back in closing tonight to, again, the key verse of this letter, and then we'll pick it up in verse 8 next week. Notice again, 1 Timothy chapter 3, 14 and 15. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these instructions to you so that in case I am delayed, I want to let you know how people ought, the word ought means it's necessary. It is a necessity before God. So again, this is an optional conduct. This is essential conduct for the people of God. How they ought to conduct themselves, again, not in the world, but in the household of God. Do you notice something there? God is saying, my people should realize and understand and grasp that they are part of a family. That's why he uses the term household. We are a family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ and should conduct ourselves towards each other that way. That involves obligation and responsibility towards each other. You see. It it places our involvement and engagement in our local church with our brothers and sisters in Christ on a whole other level. You see. And we're going to talk more about this Sunday as we finish out 2 Thessalonians. And then he goes on to say, because we are not only the household of God, the family of God, We are also the church of the living God, the support and bulwark of the truth. The word support, literally in the original language, is pillar or column. And the reason why Paul chose that word is because in ancient times, if someone wanted to get out something publicly and proclaim it, they would stick it on the pillars and columns of the prominent buildings in the city. So Paul is saying, the church should be a place where the truth of God is proclaimed. But it should also be the place where the truth of God is protected. Because that's what the bulwark is. A bulwark was a wall that surrounded something in order to protect it. And guard it. You see. And God is placing that responsibility on us as the church. To not only make sure that we proclaim His truth, but that we protect it, that we guard it, that we don't let anyone tamper with it, that we don't anybody let play games with it and take out what they don't like and put in what they do like, but that we preserve it just intact as God has revealed it. That's our responsibility as the church. Again, if somebody wants to hear the truth of God, then the one place they should be able to find to hear the truth of God should be the church of the living God, the active, powerful God. His presence, as we talked about Sunday, should be felt in the church.
Because if His truth is being proclaimed, then God will begin setting people free, just as Jesus said. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set men free. When people are being set free, then God is at work. A great letter. A letter I'm excited to share with you in the coming weeks. A letter that's going to show us how to disciple and mentor and be discipled and mentored. It's going to remind us about the value of our local church and being part of the church. And it's going to remind us about the battles that we all face and the mentality that we need to have that what we are fighting for, what we are struggling against is all worth it. Because it's about eternal things the spiritual lives and souls of people. And at the end of it all, that's what really matters. Let's pray. God, we thank you for giving us the privilege and yet the great responsibility of being entrusted with your truth both as individual followers of Christ and as a church, as a community of believers. We have been entrusted with the very revelation of God. Lord, I pray that, as Paul encouraged tonight, that we would stick with the Word, that we would stay on message and not get so easily distracted and get off onto other things that really at the end of the day isn't going to bring us any closer to God than anything else. It's the Word of God that we need to stick to. It's the Word of God that we need to saturate our minds with, that we need to meditate on, that we need to memorize, that we need to focus on. And so God help us both as individuals and as a local church to stick with your truth. To not deviate from your message to the right hand or to the left. But to stand firmly upon the Word of God. Help us, God, to fight the battles that we need to fight. To be reminded that, God, the struggle that we are in as followers of Christ is worth it. It's worth it to bring salvation to others and to bring spiritual growth and maturity into other people's lives. It's all worth it, God. And yes, it's a battle. And yes, it's a struggle. And yes, it drains us at times. And yes, it discourages us at times. And it frustrates us at times. But God, when we're in eternity with you in heaven, we will be so glad we were willing to fight the good fight and compete well for the faith. God, rejuvenate us Refresh us to get back into the fight and to stay focused through the study of this letter in the weeks ahead. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.